I never got an eviction notice. I never went to court for an eviction. Um, they just got rid of everything that I own and my kids own. I reached out to Rick Bove, never got a response back. I called him, emailed him mm -hmm. several times and nothing. Now I'm suing them for $50,000 to cover everything that me and my family have lost and all of the stuff that we've gone through just because of this. Since I was not able to go back to my apartment, my kids live with my mother-in-law right now, mm -hmm. and now I'm in my second treatment facility trying to get my children back so that we can move on with our lives, but it's, it's just been crazy. How do you put a price on any of this stuff? You know, like, yeah, maybe I got my wedding dress, but I didn't get my baby books, you know, like baby bracelets, mm. footprints, pictures that I don't have. How do you put a price on that? It needs to be looked at in, in a big picture because I'm just one of many that this has been done to that are saying something about it. How many aren't? I don't even think both should have rental apartments, mm. buildings. Why are they renting to people if they're robbing them? Welcome back to Unsolicited Bridge Picks, Thirsty Thursday edition. It's always Thirsty Thursday where I am. <laughs> I'm your host, Charles Winkleman, and with me is... Free Bells. We've got a fun one today. I'm very excited. By fun one, we mean Charles said, Hey, Gabrielle, isn't it time for us to do something on the Boves? And I said, I don't have time for this shit. How about I just ask you questions and you put it all out there? Because the Boves definitely live rent-free in your head. You've had a couple of years to really be digging into the Bove's relationship with our state and our community. I, I would say this is like the most expensive episode we've done, <laughs> um, entirely from my end. But before I started getting into uh, the tenants union, I went on this wonderful journey talking to Bove's tenants and really learning about the Bove's history and kind of this very dark underbelly of... Vermont. Essentially, the Boves have intergenerational real estate and wealth. They have gotten away with, you know, truly, truly making life miserable for so many people. I originally come from Providence, Rhode Island, so I'm like, I'm used to Italians doing <laughs> sketchy things. Uh, I just kind of didn't think it would be up here. You know, I really thought the Vermont exceptionalism would hold true. All right. So yeah, the Boves. Burlington is a place where 60% of residents own nothing in housing wealth. Zero. In Justin Burlington, $1.2 billion worth of property is owned by 27 landlords. Yeah. The Boves own over $40 million worth of property. And if they're able to build this hotel that they want to build, it, it, would be even more. And that's just in Burlington. Mm -hmm. That doesn't include their factory in Milton. It doesn't include uh, some other properties they have in Colchester and St. Albans. And uh, there's a couple of other places. Do you focus on Boves because they're one of the biggest landlords also? So Mark and Rick Bove are the Bove brothers, aka Bove Brothers Realty. They own 40 to $50 million which in property alone, which would easily put them in the 0.1% of all Vermonters individually while their units are in terrible condition. Mark Bove is his house is on the market for $1.7 million. It is a four bed, five bath, 5,200 square foot house. In Colchester, 135 feet of Lake Champlain water frontage with panoramic lake and mountain views. Oh. Rick Bove um, from redfin.com. He also lives in Colchester. Of course he does. His house is 3,700 square feet. 
sits on 1.5 acres and has three bedroom, three bath, and last sold in 1999 for 1.5 million. So when you look at the two of them, they're rich. They were born into wealth. They continue to be incredibly wealthy. You were a Bob's tenant at some point. Was that what made you want to look into them? No, I was, was a like... Bove's tenant, but I was 20. It was fine. Like it wasn't the worst experience, wasn't the best experience. And that's kind of part of being a 20 year old. Yeah, person. you're like, oh, this is kind of a shithole that's kind of overpriced and they never really respond to any of our complaints. But I'm 20 and I can throw parties and no one bothers me. So this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares if there's house centipedes everywhere and like the rug that they never truly cut all the way off is still sticking out from the edge of the walls. Yeah, so I was a tenant, but it was like eight years before I started looking into this. It's funny you mentioned that because at one point that was brought up towards me as like me being like particularly biased. So what did <laughs> cause you to start going after these slumlords? It was in 2017, the city was going to sell them a parking lot mm -hmm. that is on Pearl Street behind their old restaurant. And it infuriated me because I had known and read enough articles about all of the shit they had done. Like in 2013, the city held their liquor license until they got into code compliance. In 2013, uh, one of their units was deemed uninhabitable. It was one on North William Street. They said that live electrical wires dangled from a ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like, it was it was just insane to me. Like, they, they're doing this. Uh, in 2013, Rick Bove, when asked about it in a Seven Days article called Fix It Man, said, you can write whatever you like. It doesn't matter much to me. And so finding that article, I was like, something's going on here. Like, it doesn't matter to them what's being said about them. Like, what happens? Because it's not going to affect them negatively. And even the boycott Bove's hasn't affected them really. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons it hasn't affected right. them that much. One is that boycotts just don't work. Right. I just like the alliteration. I was like, boycott boves, it works well. It works great for the logo. Yeah, it works great for the logo, great logo. The other reason is literally no one would take these concerns seriously. Like the stories that I was told and I'm gonna share are fucking horrifying. And not a single fucking person took them seriously in the way that I did. It, it really, like, that was when this, like, the sheen of Vermont really kind of sloughed off, uh, particularly when, after writing that op-ed, single mom who was living in the Monarch Apartments in Essex Junction reached mm. out to me and was like, hey, do you want to come and talk to, to tenants and, and hear some of the concerns we've been having? And I went there and I was shocked because Burlington's housing, there's so much shitty housing, but nothing was compared to that building. <laughs> It, it's insane that we have in Burlington a code enforcement office that keeps apartments from being like rat infested slums. They're just like slum infested slums. <laughs> like that's like that's yeah. like the, the the only fucking difference. Well, and it has to do with just it's those in power and people who have the ability to make changes, making decisions about who is worthy to live in dignity and who is not. <laughs> the thing about the Boves is like they they're so connected to Governor Phil Scott, uh, to the, the Attorney General, TJ Donovan, to Bill Ward, the code enforcement director. They're just, they're so connected, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, and that's, and that's what I realized is like, it, and it's been interesting to watch you get try angry. to, well, try to figure out where there's room for hope and uh, land where we are yeah. now. I mean, it, this, you know, really was the first time I, I tried to help tenants organize and i tried to do it in the nicest way possible and the number of mm -hmm. times and different people who just shut it down was amazing 
So essentially how this started is I, I wrote that letter to the editor for seven days about how the city was going to sell property to the Bofs. And they, and they sold that parking lot for $500,000. And then about five months later, uh, the Bofs gave Weinberger a campaign donation. Uh, and we'll talk about all the people they've gave, given donations to mm-hmm. and when they choose to give donations, because it's really fascinating how clearly their donations are tied to when the government does things for them. Do you want to talk about some of these stories and some of the people you've met and what they have to say about the Boves now? Yeah. I went to talk to this single mom and she brought me around to the apartments and to the people she knew. And it, I mean, I'll just read this here. One single mother, previously homeless for several years beforehand and who had just gotten out of a shelter with her children said after living in this apartment, the Bove's apartment, for two months, she was considering moving back into her car or sleeping on friends' couches. Early after had she had moved in, the roof fell in and took several months to fix. And on top of that, the place has mildew and reeks of third-hand smoke in the walls. The roof fell in on one of their bedrooms, and it took the Bove's four months to fix. And the children had to sleep in the living room. When this mom uh, asked how they would be compensated for the stress the building manager told them that they wouldn't have to pay for parking. What? Here's the best part. That was included in the lease. So unless they had made everyone write a new lease, they couldn't charge for parking. And this mom is on Section 8, uh, has a Section 8 voucher. And that's where the Boves make so much of their money is people who have nowhere else to go have a Section 8 voucher. You know, so for this two-bedroom, mildew, third-hand smoke-ridden apartment with a a cave ceiling, uh, they paid $1,464 a month. Oh, my God. That's like almost as much as I paid for um, the two-bedroom apartment that I rented in Essex at the time. Yep. And there's no question in my mind that your landlord there uh, raised it just above that so that no one with a Section 8 voucher could get it, uh, which is a very common tactic. When you're like, oh, it's it's 1500 or 1550 the Bo- the Boves is, is almost exclusively. And, and there's a reason for that because um, tenants are in precarious situations. They can't complain. Uh, Because they have a Section 8 voucher, like if Section 8 decides it's not up to code, then you're just homeless. (laughs) And so you you end up being stuck in this terrible situation. You have to deal with so much, so much And the other thing is like, you know, people, I'm sure not people who listen to this podcast, but you know, like the idea of, oh, beggars can't be choosers type thing. Well, when you have to make a choice between exposing your children to mildew and and third-hand smoke, both things that can do serious long-term damage to your children's lungs. I don't blame this person for, for considering moving back into her car. What kind of a responsibility do landlords have to actually be providing tenants with a healthy place to live? Is that something that they're actually required to do? I mean, sure, this needs to be its whole own sort of episode, but legally, yes. But the way the state of Vermont works is that the people who are in charge of that are town health officers who are volunteer and elected and can often be landlords themselves who get very little training, no funding, often have conflicts of interest and just don't really give a shit. In Burlington, we have code enforcement, which is a bit better, but code enforcement still doesn't have any power. Uh, They still have to do what the mayor wants. It's still that sort of agenda. And so it's better in Burlington, but it's like... You know, being in the third layer of Dante's hell versus the mm-hmm. second, like, yeehaw. The, the mom I talked to, though, one of the things she said is that there was a playground out back and none of the kids could play back out there uh, because there's often used needles, garbage, uh, animal feces that was just never picked up. You can't leave your kids anywhere, she said. They're not allowed to play, even in the hallways, run around, do anything. They're prisoners. We all are. 
just talking to folks there, like the, 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 the stress on their mental health, really, it was really hard to, to see and to sit with. There, there was a, a single dad who was living there who was like, he was fucking jacked. Like he was like a construction worker. And at one point in the conversation, he just started bawling. You see that. And then like, then it becomes personal, even when it's like, you know, really not where it's like, all right, well, you fucked over these people who I just met who are kind people. It's fucking personal. What apartments were those people who you just spoke about? Where were they living? So they were living in Essex. In the Monarch? In the Monarch apartments. The woman there, um, she knew people who moved from one bow building to a different one. And so I talked to some tenants who were living in Colchester. I just, I need to share this story. Uh, Years ago, when I first moved in, they had this guy named Mo, who was their maintenance guy. And he was offering multiple women in different buildings money and eventually drugs in exchange for favors of a sexual nature. He made so many offers. And yeah, I'm a single parent, but I don't need money that way. And this single parent told me about how this guy named Mo had keys to every apartment. And she felt really fortunate because hers was one of the only apartments that had an indoor lock, like an inside lock that could not be done from the outside. So if she ever had to leave her child alone, she'd be like, you lock it, wait until I come back. You know, you hear my voice, open it up. Like, it's just like, it's just people living in like these like terrible situations. Like it's a prison. There's no other way to put it. It's, It's a fucking prison. Hearing these stories, it's like, holy shit, this is insane. Someone should do something about it, right? And so what I ended up doing was I actually had a conversation. It took several months, but Mayor Weinberger was willing to talk to me about it. Magnanimous of him. It was very magnanimous of him. This was before things went really, really sour between you two, right? (laughs) Yeah, it took a long time. It was a 45-minute conversation. And a big reason was I I went to talk to him because of that sale. Because I was like, how the fuck could you sell property to a a known slumlord? Like, here's three different Seven Days articles. The way the mayor uh, often thinks and works in in, in neoliberalism is like, well, you have to incentivize rich people and developers to do things. That's the only way you can do anything. Because there's, you know, we can't, quote unquote, can't make laws to actually hold them accountable. But you look at that and you're like, all that tells you is that if you ignore them for years and and then want something then you can leverage you being a shitty fucking landlord or business owner <laughs> to get what you want and i i told the mayor about this this guy mo um you know and and i told him about the bove's relationship with almighty peaks painting which well, we'll talk about in a little bit mm-hmm. and eventually he said he would look into it he said he looked into it and found nothing uh... So the mayor asked if I, if I saw any sort of improvements in his properties. And to be clear, um, part of the deal is that for, for the sale to be finalized, from my understanding and from what the mayor said, for the sale to be finalized, the Boves have to fix up their units, which they mm. do every like 10 years or so when they want something. So they'll fix it up and get it to pass and then just ignore it once again. But the mayor asked and he said, you know, have you seen that things are, have been getting fixed? And I said, I mean, sure, but if you look at his history and the history of, of the family, they regularly let buildings fall into disrepair. The, Rick Bove even said he does not care. He doesn't care how his tenants live. And the mayor said, he said that? And I said, yeah, there was a seven days article about it. And, you know, that's why he would hire Almighty Peaks Painting. And the mayor said, are you suggesting that they were aware of what Almighty Peaks was doing and didn't care? What's your assertion there? And I said, I would say tenants tried to contact Rick Bove on multiple occasions, and I don't know whether they were successful. I know a lot of them gave up because they couldn't contact him. They tried through his management company. At the very least, there was a clear negligence, which is very concerning. So you're saying there's a clear negligence that this was happening. They were lousy painters? 
me. Uh, yeah, they should have known what was happening with Almighty Peaks. He was hired by them. And I explained about how one woman was uh, solicited for sex in exchange for drugs and money and tried to contact Rick Bove and nothing changed. There, there's a little bit of dancing around these. That was an Almighty Sneak Peak. <laughs> Um, An unsolicited almighty sneak peek. Yeah. So it sounds like from, from that conversation, you and the mayor both know that something sketchy is going on with this painting company. Do you want to fill in our listeners on that? So the, the idea that the mayor had no idea what was going on is not true. And this is where like the, the web starts to develop. Almighty Peaks painting in 2007. The guy who was in charge of it was busted with over one kilo of heroin. It was a DEA raid with uh, Colchester police. And the, the reason that I bring the Almighty Peaks up is because what I kept hearing from tenants, whether it was in uh, Burlington or Colchester or, or Essex, one of the biggest complaints was about this company called Almighty Peaks Painting, where they would come into these units. Not only would they not paint, they would either steal things, whether that was prescription, medication, or electronics. Uh, they would do shoddy jobs. They would sell heroin to people who were living in those buildings who who were in recovery. And so, like, what I was seeing was a clear, clear through line of this company that the Boves just weren't giving a shit about. And then I even found a Burlington document in a uh, a case from, I think it was 2015. And it was during, uh, it was a uh, Housing Board of Review case. It was Dunsmore versus Boves. In, in one of the parts, it says, both parties testified as the deductions made for cleaning expenses, which totaled $120. Respondent, Rick Bove, hired Almighty Peaks Painting to do the cleaning. The stove, refrigerator, and bathroom were cleaned by Almighty Peaks. The charges for cleaning were consistent with the charges noted in the security deposit. Based on the evidence, the board concludes the deductions for cleaning the stove, refrigerator, and bathroom were not proper. <laughs> and they got their money back for, for, for that. So, you know, there's, a, there's local government documents that prove there was a relationship, even if you just want to assume that relationship was just that one time, which it wasn't. But even if you just want to assume it was that just that one time, there still was a relationship there. Hmm. You have evidence that they did a shitty fucking job. <laughs> like, like you, you have that there. I, I talked to someone who, who uh, 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 was a college student in 2012, 2013 in, in their senior year. And they told me about how them and three of their friends were tenants in a building on Hungerford Terrace that the Bobes owned. We showed up on move-in day to find a refrigerator on our porch. And when we opened the door, the apartment was completely trashed. The toilet was in the shower. There were holes <laughs> punched in the walls. Sorry. The toilet was in the shower. <laughs> To be clear, this wasn't like, this wasn't my, my idea when I was like in a high school. I was like, just put a toilet in the shower and you can do everything all at once. Um, <laughs> then all I right. can wake up 10 minutes before the bus. Uh, no, the, the toilet was taken out, was in the shower, not connected to anything. There was holes punched in the walls, electrical sockets hanging out. It was a nightmare. So of course we called Rick to ask him what was going on. And he told us that we should be more patient and that this was to be expected. This was on move-in day. Wait, so this was the tenant called, called Rick. Rick. So is it common for tenants to have direct contact with the Boves as landlords? Yes, uh, but Rick almost never responds. So so when I rented from the Boves, I didn't have to, but I chose to bring the rent check to the restaurant and hand it. In retrospect, I think it was Rick who was working behind the counter. But this person goes on, I told him this was completely unacceptable and that it needed to be taken care of right away. He argued with me and threatened eviction several times, even when our parents got involved. Eventually, he compensated us one month's rent, but it took several weeks. But here's where it gets really interesting. And in the meantime, what were they doing for the toilet? 
I don't know. I never asked that. I probably <laughs> should have. They just like sent the story. They were like, hey, I have a story. You want to hear it? And I was like, yeah, I would love All to. Right. They were leaving doggy bags in, uh, at the, the Bob's door. I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, wait, wait. I, they actually do. They mention it next. So we needed to find somewhere else to stay for several days, which was a hassle. He eventually got Almighty Peaks Painting to come in and repair the walls and paint our rooms. One of the workers sexually harassed me, and when I told Rick about it, he basically told me it wasn't a big deal and couldn't care less. So I just want to—I just want to mention—you're talking about a—is this a UVM student or this is a UVM student, a yep. UVM college senior whose parents got involved? We're talking about somebody who does have choices when it comes to their living situation and is somebody who comes from resources and is renting this because they're a college student. And again, like your situation when you're 20, you know, like whatever. Yeah. This is not a person who is formerly homeless and a single parent who has nowhere else to go and nobody else to let them stay with them for a couple of days. The Boves they do also rent to college students. Like I, I rented, this person rented a, a two years after I rented. But they're, you know, they're looking for people who either don't know their rights. You know, like a, a young person is often not going to get parents involved. Frank, I wouldn't have. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with, with, you know, this person's willingness. At the, at the time, I never would have done it. I would have just been like, oh, well. Maybe this is on me. I don't, I don't have a ton of sympathy for that person. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that that person brought those problems to the attention of whomever, right? It just makes me think about how many people are in those situations and they don't have the time or energy or resources or social cultural capital to be able to confront a landlord about those kinds yeah. of clear abuses i definitely have sympathy i also very much believe in the union uh motto that an injury to one is an injury to all so like yes totally like them standing up for themselves is that gonna help any of the other tenants who are low income who don't have an option probably not but is that you know starting that sort of pushback definitely because because so much of uh rick bobes uh the, the way that that their business operates is like based around people never calling them on their shit. So we have the Boves, right? We have Almighty Peaks painting. They're clearly doing business together for a really long time. And then we also have a very influential state senator uh, from Colchester named Dick Mazza. Uh, you know, that's why, that's why when you were like, they both live in Colchester. And I was like, of course they fucking do. Like all of these people are in Colchester. Not just do they all live in Colchester. Um, I was told that the Boves accountant rents from Dick Mazza. He rents right across the street from the general store. So his accountant's there, the Bove's right down the street. There's a Seven Days article I came across uh, in the early 2010s. It's about how Dick Mazza is a kingmaker. So there's some interesting things about Senator Dick Mazza. He, he's, he, but this is for another episode, right? No, this is a part of it. I think we got to bring this up. He, he. I know, but we're also gonna do more episodes. Yeah, we totally are. Because uh, I want to learn more about Dick Mazza. Totally. I'm just so confused. So Dick Mazza has been a state senator for about 30 years. He is considered mm-hmm. um, a kingmaker, as a, a Seven Days article uh, says. To want to be politicians, he is a law-abiding godfather or a kingmaker whose blessing can launch their political careers. Or a queen maker. It's about time. Oh, you're saying that because he recently endorsed uh, Molly Gray. Uh, 
Oh, I didn't know. I didn't say anything about Molly Gray. Why are you putting words in my mouth? He's more of a Yas Queen maker. <laughs> the thing about Dick Sorry. Maza is there's a, there's a few things. One is that Dick Maza has an affection for vintage Americana. In the article, it talks about how it's displayed behind his store, where there's a Corvette museum with several mint condition cars, as well as a collection of cherry red Farmel tractors and 50s styles diner. That just sounds right off the bat. Sketchy, right? Sketchy. And so fucking racist. Which, wait, which Sorry. part of that is racist? Sorry. Oh, a racist to Italian Americans. It, you know, no, normally I would say yes, but coming from Rhode Island and seeing how uh, uh, Senator Maza is incredibly <laughs> obviously corrupt, I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna let it fly. I'm gonna let Italian racism fly. I think I think we are a podcast <laughs> that supports Italian racism, um, and and you know maybe we need to talk about that afterwards. Oh, but the Mazas, how is it that the son of a grocer uh, is able to collect enough wealth? for a Corvette museum. Meritocracy. Oh, <laughs> I have the answer. I know the answer to this one. Pick me. Uh, yes, Gabrielle. Working hard. <laughs> Wrong. Here's Sorry. the best part. Uh, I mean, part of it is connected to his real estate holdings. So in, in Colchester, he's not just the town grocer, but he is a la- local landlord who has $2.2 million, at least in real estate holdings. Ugh. I thought we weren't going to talk about sucking dick this time. Sorry, there ain't no way to stop it. Here's here's the thing. Just like, dick sucks. I'm 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 from Providence. I I know when something smells fishy. Like I'm I'm not dumb. <laughs> like I get it. You come to Vermont, everyone assumes best intentions. People assume you're you know everyone you're just a great person. That is exactly. But here's a how part of this article that just like really really struck me. It's not just the Corvette. Here's this other part. They're talking about how the conservative blog Vermont Tiger alleged that Shumlin was at a gathering in this quote-unquote Corvette museum and included a bunch of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, David Coates, Dave Usher, and Maurice Germain. I think they're connected to Vermont Yankee. And that Shumlin was saying that he could support, in, in this quote-unquote back room, he could support continued operation of Vermont Yankee if the nuke plant had a new owner. Speaking about it now, Mazza says he wasn't there when the topic of Vermont Yankee came up. I came down to the store a couple of times to get cookies, he says. What? Come the fuck on. He was like, oh, I don't know. I, I was just there to give cookies. Fucking bullshit. That's, this is some, like, lazy Sopranos type shit right here. Babs, <laughs> I was just uh, there. My wife made some beautiful cookies, and I wanted to give her some cookies. Hey. <laughs> I, I had a, uh, curiosity. I had a history teacher in high school who was very, very Italian, uh, Derizzo, I think Derizzo, who, he, he had cousins in the mob. Very nice guy, though, but, like, you just, you just start learning these sort of things. Where it's like, no, you were not fucking down there with the governor just to offer some cookies. I'm just interested in uh, how many Corvettes does it, does it take to make a museum? <laughs> I just... Well, it's a personal museum, so I imagine personal museum. at least three. <laughs> can, I add, can I add a little bit more? Going back it to... It does do because it needs to get back to It does boats. have to get back to the boats. Going back to the... Uh, just to connect our second pit episode that we just did. Oh! Uh, and last fall, Maza sought to discredit the Seven Days Legislature survey in which Shumlin was voted the, quote, most ethically challenged, end quote. <laughs> he insisted that he and other lawmakers wrote Shumlin's name in as a joke. Oh, okay. 
The story got shopped around to at least two reporters at Seven Days in the Vermont Press Bureau who didn't pursue it because Maza wouldn't confirm key details of the alleged gag, such as whether he and other senators actually wrote Shumlin's name in. Uh, VPR ultimately reported the story based on Maza's word that it was a joke, apparently without confirming the alleged involvement of any other of the transportation committee members, including Phil Scott, who was running for lieutenant governor, who was also supported by Maza for governor. So just uh, just <sighs> connecting right. that just a, to, a little bit. I just have to sigh for a minute. <laughs> it's not necessarily that these people have malicious intentions to give them the benefit of the doubt. A lot of it just has to do with more well, like self-interest and wanting power. I suck your dick, you suck yeah, mine. I, I would not ever say that like Dick Maza is, is trying to be a, a, a person who ruins the lives of others. I would say that about the Boves. I think the Boves are truly terrible people. But <laughs> it, most of the people around their orbit, it's more just they don't give a shit. Like yeah, no, as long as it gets them power, as long as it gets them money, as long as it gets them you know cachet in the community, that's all that matters to them. There's an, uh, a piece in Seven Days from John Walters in 2017. And this is how it connects, that uh, Dick Mazza connects to the Boves. There's a couple ways, but this is one of them. These are uncomfortable days in the Vermont Senate after its most senior and powerful member became tangentially involved in a major drug bust. Last weekend, federal agents arrested two suspected drug dealers and seized more than a kilo of heroin outside Almighty Peaks Painting, a business located in a Colchester strip mall owned by Senator Dick Mazza. So, so quickly, the initial connection that you're making yep. here is Almighty Peaks Painting rents from Dick Mazza and works extensively for the Boves. At the time, they've been renting from Dick Mazza for seven years. So here's an article in Vermont Digger where they say, uh, Mazza said he had no concrete knowledge of Holmes' alleged drug dealing. The senator confirmed he accepted cash. You know, not the type of thing a mafioso would ever do. About $1,300 each month for Holmes' rent at Almighty Peaks Painting. Mazza said his daughter, who serves as the bookkeeper for his rental business, made sure the cash was recorded every month. Holmes was the only tenant of eight or nine who Mazza said he accepted cash from. The arrangement, he said, made him uncomfortable, but he was told that's the way he likes to do business. Frequently, Holmes was several months behind on the rent. So not only is Dick Mazza as a landlord giving Holmes, allowing him to be the only one to pay rent in cash, but he was allowed to be several months behind but some, multiple I times. Mean, in their defense, some people just like using cash, you know? There's no way for the government to like... <laughs> it's particularly strange that somebody who is a business owner would prefer to pay in cash. Have you done taxes when you own your own? Like, it's, like this country's tax requirements are fucking ridiculous. There were suspicions, but no arrests ever made. So what am I supposed to do, Maza said. I was uncomfortable at times when I heard the rumors. But what was I supposed to do? I don't know. You're the longest sitting fucking senator in the state. If you don't know what to do, who does? Do you notice that? First it's, oh, I had no idea. And then it's, well, I heard rumors. Okay, huh. Your story sounds to be changing literally in the middle of this interview. <laughs> I can't evict the guy because what do you evict him on? Wait a second. That applies to, uh, to residential evictions too, right? Like you need reasons to evict You people. don't. So just cause uh, it's being debated right now in the city of Burlington, but in the rest of the state, it's not even being debated. It's not a thing. Not you can evict anyone for any reason going on. What am I supposed to do, Mazza said. He told the Colchester police chief, Jennifer Morrison, who was most recently the Burlington police chief, you know, the connections don't end. The connections don't end. He told that police chief a year ago, 
that he was taking cash in case the suspicions were true. Nothing about that makes sense. You don't take cash because you think the person's dealing drugs. You ask for a fucking check. Like, it's, it's amazing to me that this was just reported and no one pushed back. No one pushed back on this. When he told the police chief, was he like, hey, this is happening. Maybe you should check this out. He was just like, hey, can I cover my I ass? mean, that's, I don't know. That, that's what the article says. All right, well, um, that's very interesting. You don't Dick. think it puzzles me, he said? This drives me crazy, for Christ's sakes. In my goddamn building? I'm not happy about this thing. To think that I'd protect him? Give me a frickin' break. Well, nothing says honesty like- Gosh darn it. God damn frick. Like, I'm, I'm loving this. Like, this this is the Vermont version of swearing. Like, when I, uh, in college, very briefly had a fake ID, which was my brother's fake ID, and I used it to buy alcohol. So it wasn't even a picture of me on it. <laughs> but I got away with it. But one time someone, like, I only used it, like, a few times. But one time I used it, and the woman was like, this is clearly not you. And I just got angry. <laughs> and I started being like, how dare you fucking accuse me? Like, that's what's happening here. Where it's like, he's fucking, he knows it. He knows it. And he's just, like, making up. Like, he's pissed that he got caught. Maza said, there was no nighttime activity or unusual activity during the day. And we're going to get into that. Because that's just not true. Is he talking about his marriage? or his... <laughs> I don't even know this product. I don't even know what the hell they're talking about, he said. I'm not trying to get out of anything because I don't even know. I don't even know the Proud Boys. So let me get this straight. You rented, you, you were a landlord for over seven years and you don't know what Almighty Peaks painting does? Hmm. I would say that it doesn't, I mean, as a landlord, right? I mean, it's not really his responsibility to, to figure that shit out. But... I feel like as a senator... It's very much his responsibility to figure it out. As a senator, right? I, as a landlord, it's like, you just care about what, getting the money. You're, yes, and. You're right. If, if all that had happened at Almighty Peaks painting was this covert drug dealing, one could say, okay, fine. But there were multiple break-ins into the business next door, which was a bakery. So the first time they broke in, set off some alarms and left. The second time... They broke in, went to the bathroom, cut a hole in the bathroom wall to get into Almighty Peaks painting, stole $135,000 in cash from the Almighty Peaks painting safe. And the guy who was in charge of Almighty Peaks painting, Holmes, decided to report that theft to the police. I have the records. I did a record request. I got it. He reported that that money was stolen. Where is this going? I don't know anything about this. What is So this? here's where it's going. The bakery was owned by Dick Mazza's nephew. Wait, what? His other, other nephew owns an auto parts place in the same plaza. And when I asked him about it, because I went, I knocked doors and asked everyone in, who, if they knew anything about it. The, there was a bike company there. The guy yeah. was like, I can't talk to you about it. He essentially was like, yeah, I, I, nope, no, I can't talk. His nephew essentially was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Go talk to the police. Let me try to put it this way. Dick Mazza's nephew's business that had been there for a long time was broken in. Multiple times. They had been working next door to him. There is a police report where Dick Mazza's nephew gets into a fist fight with Holmes outside of the building because of the way Holmes entered and the way he was talking to staff. Don't get me wrong. I'm on, I'm on his nephew's side on this one. But they get into a fucking fist fight and there's a police report. The idea that Dick Mazza did not know what was going on, that some people in his family didn't know what was going on, is utter bullshit. And to me, this is an important part of it because the idea that the Boves didn't know what was going on when their accountant was in the building right next to 
Holmes in Almighty Peaks painting is bullshit. So to so to bring this all together, Dick Mazza, influential senator in in our beautiful state. So he yep. is claiming ignorance. The Boves are claiming they don't give a fuck what you write about them, right? In this same commercial building, yep. you've got the Boves accountant. Yep. You have this sketchy painting business that the Boves employs and two of the nephews of Dick Mazza, all in separate businesses. One is a nephew or a brother. I think nephew though. I'm going with nephew here. I I can't remember at the time. Two family members. Two family members. members. Two family okay. members. So the point is, if you're claiming to not know about the complete lack of morality in Almighty Peak's painting, given the fact that you have all of these connections, like Dick Mazza and the Boves both know about this, is what we're saying. They both know about this, and they do not care because their bottom line is more important to them. They want that cash, even if it means with dealing with really abusive, morally bereft, just like terrible people. That's Here you have a, a, a senator who, when it comes to his legislation, is claiming to care about people who have been addicted to opioids, who have opioid use disorder, who are using heroin, uh, who are in recovery. You know, a lot of the Bove's tenants are people who were arrested for, for using or for, for crimes co uh, connected to using and then end up falling back into it because, you know, here's Almighty Peaks painting employees who are also using themselves. But, but there's a little bit more in, in this article that I think really is the, the, the cherry on top. Now you look back and say, why didn't you do this or do that, Maza said. But he said he had no basis other than rumors to evict Holmes, adding that the tenant took good care of the property and never fell so far behind in his rent that Maza could have taken legal action to evict him. None of which was true. On his Senate financial disclosure form filled in January, Maza listed self-employed grocer as the only source of income of $10,000 or more. On Tuesday, Mazza said he didn't think he had to report his rental income separately. He amended the financial report immediately thereafter. Why would you not include hmm. that? Why would a landlord of decades not include that? Why would a landlord of decades not know the basic laws around eviction? This is this is the thing. To me, listening to this podcast here, it gets a, it, it gets a bit convoluted in terms of the point that we're trying to make. Because it sounds like the point, the ultimate point is, is just that these people are corrupt as fuck. And are all in cahoots. I mean, that is. That is the point. Is that the Boves, the, the, the reason nothing ever happens to the Boves of, of any meaningful uh, consequences is because of their personal and financial relationships to Vermont's top politicians. So I remember, I mean, I don't know when you, when you had hope like this, but you had written at some point that Bill Ward, the, the code enforcement director might work with a city attorney uh, in order to revoke the landlord's rental licenses when they act like some lords and amass many fines. That's a quote from your your um, beautiful blog that everyone should go and check out, charleswinkleman.com. Or, or boycottboves.com, which is where all of this is, but yeah. So uh, what what's the deal with code enforcement? Like Bill Ward, you at some point thought that he was going to step in it and 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 this is one of the things that you talked to Weinberger about also was in numerous numerous times you pushed him on this like why aren't we revoking the licenses for landlords who are acting as slumlords why aren't we doing that doctors who commit malpractice lose their licenses lawyers can be debarred right in, in 2018 while all this was happening Right. I emailed Bill Ward and been like, hey, what can be done? And he was like, not much. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. Give me something. But then I started looking on Mark Bove's Facebook. To give a little bit of background, 
the the Bow brothers inherited the the property. They inherited the Bove restaurant from their father. Uh, it's mm-hmm. Mark and Rick Bove. Mark is the restaurateur. He really runs the the meatball factory. Rick is in charge of the property. He is he's definitely on the landlord side. However, they both own both. Like if if you go onto the the Secretary of State's website, they're both principals in in all the businesses. As far as I'm concerned, they're both equally culpable in all the things that all their businesses fucking do. Because if you're going to be in business with someone and they do something shitty, you should probably do something about it. So someone had uh, spray painted on the Bove's building because the Bove's building was going to be knocked down for this fucking amazing boutique hotel because for what Burlington needs more is more hotels, not housing. Uh, But someone spray painted the word save me on it. Mark Bove posted a photo of it. When you say the Bove's building, you mean the um, the restaurant. The restaurant on Pearl that Street. That was closed in 2017. It, 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 yeah. The spray paint said save me on it. And on the Facebook, Bill Ward commented and said, oh, did right. you already clean oh, it, God. Mark? If not, I have some stuff that will take it off in seconds. Let me know if you would like a hand. Mark Bove said, thank you, Bill Ward. Where can I get that from you? And then Bill posted uh, a picture saying, good as new, Mark. So uh, the first name basis multiple times, the Facebook relationship is weird. Very strange. <laughs> and so I e- emailed Bill Ward and, and the city council. And I said, hey, this looks like a conflict of interest. Like your job is to make sure that this, this person is following all code. Which they're not in ever. Bill Ward's somewhat defense. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, do I think they're best friends? No, of course not. Do I think they're friendly right. and cordial and kind to each other? Even though Bill Ward should not be kind to, to Mark or Rick Bove? Yes, I do. Right. And and what and the argument that they made was we're in Vermont. We've been in this community for decades. We've known each other for decades. It gets like, even better than that. So in, in Bill Ward's defense, when I when I did go for a record request, he uh, showed me three stacks of files that were each about eight inches tall. And he sent me a photo of it. Eight so he, inches. So he That's knows impressive. he knows that it sounds larger than average. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Unsolicited bridge conversations. Um <laughs> Unsolicited stack fix. <laughs> exactly. So I sent I sent Sorry. it being like, hey, this seems like a clear conflict of interest. And Bill Ward responded. This was this is in September 2018. Right. Counselors, for the record, I would like to say that you were sent an outrageous smear by an anonymous person. And I find it extremely offensive and inaccurate. The accurate part is that Mark Bove and I are friends. I have known Mark Bove for most of the 31 years I've worked for the city of Burlington. Mark is not listed on any rental property in Burlington, and I've never had to deal with him regarding any rental issues. But a, a very basic search would have you find out that, that Mark and, and Rick both own the property together. And also just his that interaction on Facebook is acknowledgement of the fact that Mark has ownership. Right, that, uh, even I that mean, one building. Just, there's, there's still even just that one building, that an acknowledgement that Mark owns that one building. That's a really good point. But, but Charles, I would say, that, I mean, it is, again, again, you, you, I think, don't have beef with Bill Ward as much as with other I, people. No, not, not as much, but, but the point is, is like, even this past week in, on my blog, I wrote about it, where, where Bill Ward and Joan Shannon were working together behind the right. scenes to contact all of the landlords that Bill Ward has in his, his work database. To give them to a, give heads, them a head, up. But, uh, heads up about just cause eviction. And so like, there's, there's no right. other way to look at it. Like, no, I don't think that it was an evil conspiracy, which is how he says it. He goes, I, that helpful gesture is now being portrayed as some type of evil conspiracy. And it was like, no, that's not the case. It's just acknowledging that you would clearly have a fucking conflict of interest. And then he posted all of the other places where he has uh, gotten rid of or helped with vandalism or helped uh, with, you know, help the property owners there, which 
I mean, there's there's so many things we could talk about about Bill Ward and code enforcement, but he then goes on to name all the other places where he helped. But it's like, that's not the, the, the I mean, yes, that's part of it. But the other issue is you did it on Facebook. You weren't even asked to do it. You, you requested to do it. And you're doing it for business owners and you're doing it for landlords. So if my car gets vandalized, which is my personal property, are you going to show up there and, and, and fix it for me for free? Is that something the city does? Oh, no, you only do it for fucking landlords. So that in and of itself is a huge I can't, I'm problem. I'm not expecting him to think critically about the system that he's bolstering up by giving undue reverence to landlords and landowners versus the vulnerable populations. But again, again, if they are giving undue support and benefit to certain people, that completely means that the system is working because that is the system that they are working yes. within. You want to talk about the way that our society is set up. It, it is set up in order to do that. And so they can't think critically about that and examine that without being like, why am I doing what this? What the job? hell am I even part <laughs> of? Yeah, that's true. And, and, and Bill Ward was a cop in Burlington for decades before that. So add that sort of mentality. Oh God, I did not know that. Yeah. So the guy who's supposed to be policing the landlords was the one whose job was to arrest homeless people. And, you know, it's just, it's everything about it. You go back to capitalism and policing and, and, and gentrification and landlords. It's all connected. I mentioned this earlier, and I know that it was like kind of a, a not into, like kind of a brushed off comment. But again, those kinds of things where you, where you see the history of Bill Ward as, as a police officer, that's where you see, again, so many of these people making decisions about who is worth having a dignified yes. Yes. living situation who is worthy of being cited for an offense and having serious consequences versus being cited for something yeah. you know, like, so you want to look at a landlord with all of these code violations, no consequences versus somebody who needs to sleep on a bench in a public park facing consequence. Like, what Thank you so much for saying that because it, what you made me think of was around this time, Bill Ward with, yeah. with help from the police department, evicted a man um, on the lower end of Church Street from the handy, a Handy's building. And he became homeless and the ACLU supported him and sued and they won $30,000. So what you're saying is 100% true. So here was a situation where he put pressure on the police and put pressure on the landlord to evict this man and they did it. But when it comes to fucking landlords, there's no, he can't, he, he cannot, he refuses. He's supposedly unable to, his hands are tied to put any pressure to do that. What was Weinberger's response to that? Oh, he blamed ACLU. He blamed ACLU for it. He was like, "That wasn't our intention. ACLU misunderstood." And it's like, "Who gives a shit? You fucking made someone homeless. That's what matters. And you lost." <laughs> also, do you really want to come down on the side against the ACLU? Like, is that? I mean, uh... wait, wait, going, going on. So the the email does not end. He says all these properties were documented publicly on C Click Fix. There are photos. The only difference is that they were on C-Click Fix while the Bose restaurant was posted on Facebook by the owner. Yes, that's the problem. That is literally <laughs> the point. Uh, I wish the author had contacted me with questions before engaging in Washington, D.C.-style character assassination. Eventually, months later, a city attorney got back to me and said they looked into my concern about potential conflict of interest because there was nothing uh, financial, you know, it has to be financial or personal gain. And speaking with Director Ward, he indicated that his friendship with Mr. Bove is a professional one. Hmm, 31-year professional relationship, huh? Never had one of those before. Tell me more, Mr. Bove. 
or sorry, Mr. Ward. Charles, you're only 31 years old. It's a professional one that he initially met him during his interactions with business owners as a Burlington police officer assigned to the downtown area. Ah, Jesus. It is my understanding that officers who are assigned to the Burlington downtown frequently speak to citizens, business persons, and vendors in the area as part of their position. D uh, Director Ward has indicated that he has known Mr. Bo since his beat cop days and considers him a professional friend, but he does not socialize with him in his private life. They do not go out together, they do not eat meals together, or attend each other's children function. <laughs> he indicated that he didn't he indicated he did not feel his professional friendship would influence his judgment. Rather, the professional rapport he has with Mr. Bove, as well with other business owners, helps him do his job in a more effective manner. But does he have any of those relationships with tenants? Does he have any of those relationships with workers? Does he No, no, of course right. he doesn't. Well, and so here's the thing. That is not expected of somebody. So, and we are so used to having this, this idea of separate social circles, right? Of completely horizontal social capital, right? There's no interclass capital being built, networks being built. And so we're like, well, of course, why would Bill Ward have relationships with the tenants who are making these claims against this friend of his of 31 years? And there's no question in my mind that Bill Ward thinks of himself as a very upstanding person who's never done anything wrong. Honestly, what you're pointing out is a conflict of class interests more than anything else. Because he is right, by definition of his job, he is in, in contact with these kinds of people and not in contact with the kinds of people that they exploit. So it's a conflict of class interests. Yes, particularly in a small state. I would say that I didn't get the impression that he was Facebook friends with most of the others. That is fair. Well, he even said Rick is the landlord, Mark isn't. So that was his understanding. That was his line where he was like, well, I wouldn't be Facebook friends with Rick, but I could be with Mark. And it's like, well, A, you didn't do any research. They both own it. How much of this is just because we're a small state? A good part of it. But that's part of the issue. When class interest is in a small state, the, the conflict of interests happen far more frequently. And the people who engage in them are far more likely to immediately say no. Right. And there's, there's no sort of... You know, other states have uh, ethics committees and commissions that can actually levy penalties. We don't have that in Vermont. We don't have that in Burlington. There's nothing we could do about it. If I were to bring the, the concerns I have about Dick Mazza to the state Senate, it, uh, there's nothing they can do. They created an ethics uh, committee a couple of years ago that the head person quit saying it was pointless and there's no reason to do to be a part of it. And so like that's that's the other part of Vermont is anytime there's any outside actual citizen oversight, they make sure it has zero teeth, just like no ability to do fucking anything. Right, but they're very cute and they make cute noises. The things that we would take away at this point would be that the Boves have engaged in a clear pattern of abuse of their tenants for years. They have had many, many code violations that have never come to anything. Even even in the past when, for example, the city of Burlington has made threats or, you know, levied their liquor license yep. against them, really nothing nope. has changed, right? And, and they, they were rewarded. They were rewarded with city property as long as they would finally follow the law. And so, so, so that's happening where, with the information that we're presenting, it's a question of whether this is happening because everybody is so entrenched in these weird Vermont relationships of dick sucking, back scratching. So, so with the Boves, they're not facing consequences. Why is that? Is it because of connections? What does the city gain, for example, with selling them property? One, one of the things that I think about is when I was talking to Weinberger and he was saying, well, you know, at least the Boves will fix up their units. And I said, okay, 
So what happens after that? I, I want to I quote it here. How do you see those inspections as keeping Rick Bow from sliding back into the history we have seen over the past couple of decades? And next episode, we will talk about the history over the past couple of decades. What's to keep those properties from in, say, five or eight years going back to the same sort of disrepair they were in before? Weinberger, if your point is there's an expiration after five years, then... Charles, yeah, that is my point. Weinberger, uh, you know, beyond, uh, you have to look out beyond the ordinance is our time limit. He has responsibilities after closing and he has responsibilities after that. At the same time, simultaneously with all of this, we work quite a bit to enhance and improve code enforcement operations in the city. We suppose there's a broader effort in general that applies blah, 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 blah. So the, the answer is that what he essentially said was, well, there's an inspection and then his units will just have to be inspected more regularly instead of a five-year cycle, a three-year or one-year cycle. But, but, but then again, enforcing the, the outcomes of an inspection is, an, is another deal altogether. What you've said is really great. And I think this episode is really focusing on the city level. We're looking at why aren't the boves being held accountable in Burlington. Vermont. Right. There are these egregious abuses happening. There are these egregious violations happening. But why isn't the mayor, the council, the, the code enforcement, why aren't they doing anything about it in Vermont? And then next episode, why isn't the state of Vermont, TJ, Phil Scott, Governor Douglas, the Senate, why aren't they doing anything? I feel like it's kind of relevant, at least for me, the way that I'm thinking about this after this conversation is, you know, looking back at the at the Boycott Bove's website, for example, there are a list of demands that are made that include, for example, public officials must return Bove campaign money. Attorney generals should look into the relationship between the Bove's, Almighty Peaks Painting, Dick Mazza, etc., both submitting to an independent business audit and independent housing inspectors and actually face consequences if and when they fail to meet all recommendations in a timely manner. Yeah, and, and there's some more stories that I'll share in, mm. in part two uh, about some of their business practices, and that includes Mark Bove. Uh, so like a, a part of it isn't just their landlording, which is, is a business, but uh, the restaurant itself, their facility where they make their balls, their meatballs, their, you know, sauces. <laughs> um, there's, there's been... There's been some violations and some, some legal stuff going on, and they've gotten slaps on the wrist, if anything, if they've even been caught for it. Listeners, I would encourage you to think about what will it take for our communities to value the experiences and the needs of people suffering at the hands of landlords and business owners who regularly exploit them over the interests of said landlords and business owners. And I would add to, you know, we are a state that has been ravaged by the opioid crisis. Consider how the Boves and Weinberger and Ward, how their roles have reinforced and supported, uh, and Maza, well, has reinforced and supported what has been going on. How is someone supposed to get better when they are released from prison and no longer incarcerated if they're being surrounded by workers who are using and selling? How are they supposed to get better if they're in housing that is in disrepair and triggers them or makes them want to go back to using substances that they've been using in the past? And whose disrepair is evaluated and enforced by somebody who in the past was arresting them. They're making their money by tearing families apart and losing everything you've ever owned. They hate to see other people have to go through this and it's not fair. 